So a group of people may have come together to make uh, crypto kitties, let's say. Well, how solid is their business plan or their plan of action for this project? And a, the term that is used is called white paper. You go on a platform called Discord and you can read their white paper and it sets out what they are hoping to accomplish with their project. And have they really done that? Hello and welcome back to Corvinus Business intelligence. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm on the faculty of Corvinus University. My co-host for today's podcast is Zoli Hedyesh, a student at Corvinus University. And I would, of course, always like to thank our sponsors, the Budapest Business Journal and Unilife.hu. We are thrilled today to have with us Claudia Worthington-Hess, owner and founder of Hess Art Advisory, and a founder and partner at New Media Art Advisory. And we are going to be talking about the business of art. Claudia, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's, it's really a delight, Claudia. And I would like to start with a subject that um, is a, appears to be of great interest to a lot of people, and that is NF. T's, NFTs, which I believe stand for non-fungible tokens. What are non-fungible tokens and what are they doing in the art world? Well, that's, that's the $69 million question, isn't it? And leave it up to the tech world to come up with such a, I call bizarre term. So, NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. So let's break down those words. Non or not, fungible meaning exchangeable, like one for one, a dollar for a dollar, Bitcoin for a Bitcoin. So if it's non-fungible, meaning you cannot trade one NFT for another. It is a unique code on a blockchain, <laughs> essentially. Uh, the reason this field is so complicated is because uh, it's made up of legal concepts, technological concepts, and financial concepts. So I can really get down in the weeds with you, Ted, but uh, you need to kind of guide me and how deep you want me to go sure. for uh, on this. Sure, Claudia. Thank you. And th thank you. Uh, I, I know we could spend six hours talking about uh, the background of this. What are they doing in the art world? I think for purpose today, that's, that's the key question. How are they operative in the art world? NFTs came into play in the art world because digital artists never really had a way to monetize their work. So let's just say you're a digital artist. Well, you could share it a lot and, and they loved having it being shared, but they really couldn't monetize it. You couldn't take a digital asset and transform it into a monetary transaction. So this NFT technology 
of being able to put information on a block blockchain and have that translate into an economic transaction was the way to trade digital assets. So while digital artists in like the gamer world and things like that would be already using it, it wasn't till an artist with the nickname of Beeple who sold one at Christie's auction house for uh, with a buyer's premium of 69 million did everybody in the world stand up and take notice and go, oh my gosh, what the heck is an NFT and how did this get sold and who is this and what is this? Uh, but it's based on concepts and things that people have done for quite a long time. But that's what they're doing in the art world. Is it so I have, a one, more, I have one more question. Yeah. Thank you. I have one more question then I know. Uh... Zoli has a lot of questions on, on this subject. Um, so it's not um, a, in effect, a, uh, a share of a tangible artwork, right? A, a real, not real, let's say, a, you know, a painting that you can touch, right? That, that is there, or is framed on somebody's wall. Um, it's yeah, not a, a share of that somehow. Is that no, correct? No, that, that, is, that is correct. An NFT is a mirroring or, or a pointer to information on the blockchain. So okay. it is not an artwork. It is not a tennis shoe. It is not an airline ticket. It, it points, it's a representation of that that is immutable it's been put down on a digital leather ledger system that can't be changed. So many people do make that mistake and say, oh, this NFT artwork. Well, no, it is an NFT attached to an artwork, whether that be physical or digital artwork. Okay, but it, it could be a physical artwork. Yes, if, if the contract is written that way, yes. Okay. It is, right. well, let, let, it, it, it isn't a physical work. It points to or reflects upon the ownership of that artwork or some right. other information about that artwork, but it is not the artwork itself. Right. Okay. Uh, Zoltan, please go ahead. Thank you, Professor. Ms. Hess, uh, incredibly interesting to hear all that. Uh, what made you enter the NFT market in the first place? Well, I am a qualified appraiser. And so part of artworks we value would be digital artworks and conceptual artworks. And ironically, you can't get more conceptual, I think, than an NFT and what it stands for. But I was already valuing digital artworks and a lot of their components. And I think along with many people, once it hit the stratosphere and once it, that, that cryptocurrency traders were using art, to 
bring attention and notoriety to this method of trading digital assets that did that many people stood up and took attention. So I decided that as part of my profession, I might be coming across this kind of concept, conceptual valued artwork, and I better be ready to value it. So uh, I started this intensive learning period where I learned all about blockchains and all the technological underbelly of this kind of transactions. And uh, that's how I got into it. I know it's not very exciting, but um, I'll, I'll oh, relate yeah. a very fast story that let's just take one artwork uh, made by Tony Orsler. He projects video onto puppet-like things. Mm -hmm. So when I went to value it, not only do I have his video, I have a puppet, I have um, a box full of chemicals and other things, and you just have to shake your head and said, oh my goodness, what exactly do I value here? Mm -hmm. So it's a problem. It's a problem we solve as appraisers to accurately value what we need to value. Right. Uh, I would like to ask you about the process of valuing a little bit more. So how is an NFT valued? Uh, what makes one more expensive than another? Ah, interesting question. Just like physical art, you have something called value attributes. Mm -hmm. That's kind of appraisal ease for what are the components that make up the value of your asset. Right. And the, what's different about maybe an NFT attached artwork is that now you have pop culture, you have your um, importance and standing in the digital world, either through Twitter, what, what you're putting on Twitter, what you're putting on right. uh, Discord. Um, it almost is, you're getting valued on a different set of importance. Uh, I, I'm not expressing myself very well here. Let, let's dial it back. You're, you're looking at more components in the value equation than just how was the painting made and, and where, what importance does it serve in the history of art? It's now gone to a more gamer popularity, yeah. um, social media importance kind of metrics here. You have to take more things into consideration. And essentially also, if it is attached to digital currency, okay, if you bought your NFT with digital currency, you now add the volatility of cryptocurrencies into the equation, which of course is, is very volatile. And so um, currently the only method that we have now was done by another appraiser who had the means to hire computer software engineers to write an algorithm for the cryptocurrency market. And uh, she worked with 
Lloyd's of London to be able to uh, ensure uh, one of these NFTs, but it's quite complicated and quite asset and labor intensive. So um, it's still a brand new field <laughs> that is uh, changing as, as we go. And uh, maybe we should actually also talk a bit more about the valuation of art in general and how you approach that. Um, and if I'm understanding correctly, your valuations can be used for insurance purposes, for tax purposes. So you can't just look at something and, and say, well, this is what I think it's worth. And uh, I keep thinking that phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, but somehow I don't think that's going to fly for insurance companies or tax purposes. So uh, let's take a concrete example. Um, I call you up and I say, uh, Claudia, you're not going to believe this, but my uh, great aunt Nellie passed away, sadly, and she's left me uh, what, according to family, family legend, is a painting by George O'Keefe, the famous American painter, lived about 100 years between late 1800s and late uh, 1900s. Uh, and Claudia, um, it's a beautiful painting, but I, uh, I need the money. First of all, I want to get it insured in case the house burns down, but then maybe I want to sell it. Um, and uh, I've heard, Claudia, that you're, you're the best of the best, so can you help me out here? How do I figure out how much this thing is worth? What, what do you, how do you approach that? Well, that's a great question, Ted. And as an appraiser, we're guided in two ways. One, by the methodology and ethics of the organization that I became qualified through, the American Appraisers, American Art Appraisers Association, and something called USPAP. Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. And I know this is you know, so incredibly boring, but I mention it because this is not just one person grabbing a value out of thin air. We follow rules and regulations by USPAP, which also uh, covers maritime, real property <laughs> valuation. So we're, we're following what a lot of other appraisers follow. Okay, so let's jump back now to Georgia O'Keeffe. So value metrics that I look at are who is the artist? What does that artwork represent within that artist's whole output? What does that artist and artwork represent in the canon of art history itself? What does the painting depict? Um, does that painting say, yes, this is Georgia O'Keeffe? Or, well, I look at it, but I really can't tell that it was made by Georgia O'Keeffe or not. I look at, you know, what is the Georgia O'Keeffe market doing these days? And for that, I go to uh, what galleries are selling her artworks for. And then we also take a look at the auction market, which is has databases and we pay for these databases to look up the comparables or the comps. 
So then we have to start making decisions. Well, you know, the size of the painting, the subject matter, the historical importance and, and uh, standing it has, and we have to compare it to works already so, sold recently on the market. So that's a very kind of dry way of saying there's some very concrete ways that we look at the problem to solve. Um, and then when you say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, uh, that applies to artworks as well, because there might be works that people find more beautiful and more awesome in George's output and some less so. So it's, it's while it's based on concrete decisions and facts and figures of the market, there is a little bit of the, uh, what does this painting carry as in the eyes of the beholder that would make it more valuable or less valuable? I hope that explained a little bit but, more yeah, about it, my it's, process. I, it, it's very helpful, including your reference to sort of the parallel of, of real estate, because I think about the use of comparables comps in real estate and, um, they are, I think, very often uh, one of the driving forces. So if you look at it that way, what have similar paintings by Georgia O'Keeffe gone for in whatever, the last year or two, I imagine that that could be very helpful in, in establishing a, a range. Am I, am I uh, on the yes. right track? You're, you're very much on the right track. Um, you know, we might, we call bookending, you know, we take the highest and the lowest, where does the artwork fall? What? And another big part of our process is how did you arrive at the value? And we're called upon to give a certain, a one value, not a range. Cause if you're going to insure it, you can't say, Oh, <laughs> sure. Insure this between, you know, like auction houses say, oh, it's between 300,000 and 500,000. No, you need one, <laughs> one value. And you can imagine the fear and anxiety you have in your heart sometimes of putting a number down on a legal document that goes to an insurance company, or maybe this work is going to be donated to a museum. And now you're dealing with the IRS. So you better have a concrete argument of value where I bring in charts and graphs and I write about how I arrived at my value. Right. Yeah. Zoltan, please go ahead. Uh, allow me to shoot back to NFTs for a moment. Uh, how would you start investing in NFTs today? Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, NFTs are a very young market and uh, uh, you have been into it uh, fairly early. So what are your uh, main uh, thoughts on starting to invest in NFTs uh, this time? Sultan, a great question. This is a field that I encourage you to have patience in. Mm -hmm. And I am writing a book ostensibly going to be called uh, NFT Handbook for Art Lovers. 
And okay. I'm writing it because so many people have something that we call FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Okay. They All they hear are the stories of how people have gotten so incredibly rich on something they never thought would have value. But you don't hear the stories of people getting hacked, people losing incredible amounts of money, the pain and agony of being in a field that is not properly insured. It's all up to you to to be the one that um, protects your assets. So NFTs are gonna be around. Um, They're very utilitarian. They're not just used in the art world, obviously. So how do you get into it when it comes to NFT attached art? Well, there are um, marketplaces. I'm just going to mention one called OpenSea, O-P-E-N-S-E-A. But there are a lot of other ones. And you can start looking at, wow, well, what is out there even? Do I like this art even? Okay. It, it has a certain look and feel from anything from uh, what we call generative art. And there is something called Board Ape Yacht Club. Don't you love that, that uh, name? And it's what we call generative art. You start off with a template of an ape and then a computer uh, program algorithm that someone wrote puts on different hats, uh, different accessories, and mm-hmm. also along with it, you're going into a club. You're feeling exclusive because you bought a board ape and you belong to this club. So you can go that whole route or you can go, hey, no, I love this artwork. I want to support this digital artist. I'm going to buy an NFT. Well, how the heck do you know how much to pay? And they have something called the floor price. That is the lowest price that the NFT has been going for either on a primary or secondary market. So you can kind of go, oh, wait just a minute. This thing has been selling for this low at one time. Why would I pay five times that amount? Or um, another way of looking at it is you look at the NFT's project. So this is another way that this world is so different than the traditional art world. These can be very collaborative events and types of creations. So a group of people may have come together to make uh, crypto kitties, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, how solid is their business plan or their plan of action for this project? And a The term that is used is called white paper. You go on a platform called Discord and you can read their white paper and it sets out what they are hoping to accomplish with their project. And have they really done that? Um, Do they, are they really who they say they are on Twitter and Twitter spaces? The problem with this whole field is it's too easy to fake too many things. And so I urge a lot of caution. I urge patience. 
and you're going to have to go about buying this art in a very different way. Now, that isn't to say that you can't walk into a gallery and buy an NFT attached artwork either. So this world is split into kind of two areas, the collectibles area and what we call more of the fine art area where we have established artists either using galleries or outside of the gallery auction system who made physical art but are now delving into the digital realm. Claudia, we could spend another two hours easily on this subject right now, um, but unfortunately we're out of time for uh, today. It's, it's just a fascinating field. Fortunately, uh, we're going to have you back uh, for two more podcasts to address some related areas. Um, and for today, first of all, I want to thank my co-host, Zoli Hedyesh, student at Corvinus University's School of Business. And most of all, we want to thank Claudia Worthington Hess. Claudia Worthington Hess, owner and founder of Hess Art Advisory. You're, you're based in San Francisco, is that right, Claudia? That is correct. Based yep. in San Francisco and also a founder and partner at New Media Art Advisory. Claudia, thank you so much for your time today. And we leave you today, as we always do, with these words from Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Thank you.